Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, title of the talk is, What Are You Going to Do Now? Do you know? (laughs) Of course, now has a lot of uh, different possible parameters that can be just in this moment, hopefully you're going to be staying here for the Dharma talk. Um, or it can be this day, this evening, this week. Or it can be the next weeks and months. Or it can be the next few years. Um, but things are changing so fast that uh, it might be good to uh, to get clear on what now we're talking about. I wanted to start by, by saying uh, I was motivated to, um, to talk um, and explore with you um, this evening uh, about what we're, I'm going to share. Uh, first, when I received an email from some uh, other Dharma teachers um, and uh, one of the people who uh, runs the One Earth Sangha website, which is a website devoted to uh, Dharma and climate change, uh, I'm on the advisor, teacher advisor um, uh, group. And it was um, in response to an article that was written by uh, a Dharma teacher uh, from the Tibetan lineage, um, Ken McLeod, uh, that appeared in Tricycle uh, just the other day. And the article was called Why I Don't Practice Engaged Buddhism. And just before I go on, just notice how that lands with you, Um, and I, as I try to communicate here, um, as the Buddha said, uh, we can get very attached to our ideas and opinions. It's one of the, it's one of the four great areas of attachment. So as we explore, I really want to explore with the openness that there's no one right answer. And, and we can have whatever reactions or actions or thoughts or opinions we have about everything. And we do usually have thoughts and opinions about most everything. Um, but when I read the article and it was sent out with some concern, is there 
a response? Is there an appropriate response to this? This uh, uh, and Ken is a is a very well respected uh, teacher. Um, what 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 is the appropriate response? Should should there be a rebuttal? Should there be a a, a further exploration? But um, in reading that, why I don't practice engaged Buddhism. Um, for many, there, there was a kind of recoiling of, oh, well, wait a moment, um, just what is the place of the Dharma in these times? And I'll read a little bit of, of what he said. Um, What is a Buddhist response? Some see a Buddhist response as the taking of some kind of political or social action, engaged Buddhism. For these people, Buddhism is a religion. Many centers have now established participation, participants and, and teachers who function in ways that are similar to the congregations, priests, ministers, or rabbis in Christianity and Judaism. Um, My own training was more about how to use whatever circumstances we encounter as a way of waking up in our lives. I was never taught that the practice of Buddhism was about making the world a better place. It has always been about coming to and giving expression to a different relationship with life, essentially a mystical path. There have always been problems in the world. Granted, the problems now facing humanity are different in scale and in kind, but the idea that one has to be engaged with the problems of the world to be a real Buddhist is a very recent notion. It negates the lives of many of the great masters that inspire us and whose teachings we study and practice. Obviously, there are personal choices to be made here, but I think it is reckless and presumptuous to tell others how they should live their lives. Chuang Tzu describes a crooked, twisted tree that grows near a road. It is so crooked that no woodworker would ever think of cutting it down. It is just there. It may be that one day a traveler stops beneath it to find shelter from the rain or shade or shade from the sun, or maybe it just stands there because that's what trees do. So there were a flurry of emails in um, response to that. And I uh, wanted here to address, and for people who are listening from from far away, um, that a number of people do, uh, just perhaps there are legitimate concerns about how much dharma and uh, how much uh, engagement um, we explore here and in uh, Dharma centers. Uh, 
again, without any right or wrong, but I'd be curious to open up a conversation. Um, And I'll say a few words, and I want to acknowledge that if you've been coming here, um, a lot of my talks in recent times have had to, um, or were certainly to um, a large extent, in response to current events. Um, I just have to talk about what's going on in my mind. Uh, But I also, I really want to bring a Dharma perspective rather than just talking about politics. Um, So I'll say a few words and and, uh, give some perspectives and maybe open up a conversation. Um, We are one week into a new reality. Well, it's been coming for a while, but uh, one week and things are happening so fast. It's hard to it's hard to imagine if this is the one week what it's going to be like months and months as we proceed. Um, and it's on my mind a lot. How many other people is it on your mind a lot? Okay. Oh well, it's nice to know I'm not alone. Okay. But it's not on everyone's mind, and that I want to really respect. But with the the collective consciousness, there's something, if you're old enough to to remember, something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. Better stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everyone look what's going round. Um, these are, I was um, watching Dan Rather, who's quite a very courageous, inspiring um, voice, the, the great iconic news anchor, saying these are extraordinary times and they require extraordinary responses and measures. Um, and at the last, last week, it was just before the inauguration, and on Friday we had um, at Spirit Rock an inaugural gathering and sit. Uh, I announced it here. A number of teachers were there um, to offer some teachings, and uh, over 300 people came um, just streaming in. First they set up for like 120, 130. I said, you might need a few more chairs. You know, and they just kind of kept on pouring in. And it was, um, it was really moving. Most of all, for people to talk with each other. And as happened in the, the teacher meeting, that, that really was the... Uh, was the inspiration to have that gathering. 
uh, people came in with great apprehension and left with great uh, inspiration and connection. Mm. We asked people to reflect on why they were here in small groups um, and uh, had a few more presentations. And then we asked people to reflect on what, what are you feeling? What are the feelings that are coming up from you, for you? All in a Dharma context. And they'd share that and a few ways to hold the feelings. And then we, um, a few more sharing and presentations. Um, Kate was there. Betsy Rose was there. Um, Mark Coleman, Wes Nisker, uh, Raja Houston offering some poems. Uh, and then we asked people to um, to reflect on what they envisioned their own involvement or non-involvement and just supporting each other in that. And uh, the connection was, uh, I think, the most powerful aspect of, of that gathering. And then the next day was the, were the marches. How many people went on marches here? Mm-hmm. Berkeley, of course, you know. Yeah, for those uh, just listening on the, uh, uh, on the audio, uh, almost every hand went up. Um, and again, it was, it was pretty inspiring, just being part of something, and there was a sense that you were part of something bigger than many people had experienced in quite some time. And as uh, somebody said, we're, we're in new territory here. And uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Ed Lee, the San Francisco mayor, uh, one of 41 mayors, saying um, that s- uh, affirming that San Francisco is a sanctuary city and uh, we are going to remain a safe haven for, for people no matter what anybody else says. And um, I was really moved by Nancy Pelosi, who said um, that she was with uh, the president, new president, a couple of times, and she said, "You know, he he's it came across that he's so insecure that it was it was really sad." And she said, "I felt sorry for him, and I prayed for him." And then I prayed for the United States. Mm. So personally, I'm sharing from my own personal experience, and I'd be interested in yours. Um, In some strange ways, I'm more energized than I've been in a long time. Can anybody relate to that? How many people can relate to that. That's in itself quite remarkable. Instead of feeling discouraged or defeated or um, uh, helpless or hopeless, that there's this feeling of possibility and inspiring action 
And when I hear things that make my jaw drop or my eyes wide open, oh my goodness, there's a strange, almost perverse part of me that's saying, bring it on. Can you anybody relate to that? Because there's also this feeling, you know, uh, I'm, tr- I don't, I'm trying to remember if it's uh, Newton's second or third law of thermodynamics that uh, for, every, uh, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. He probably did, wasn't thermodynamics, of, uh, uh, but of uh, Newton's laws. What was it? Of... Of motion, yeah, laws of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's just the way nature is. And here we are living, living this out. And for every action, for every confusing, scary um, pronouncement, there's an equal and opposite reaction of I'm in this. At least by, for many people. And that connection is, is, seems to be the key. That not feeling alone uh, is, is quite energizing. So given that, now I wanted to just look at the place of the Dharma in this new reality. First, um, a little bit of history. When Ken says that the idea of engagement is new, relatively new to Buddhism, um, I, I don't see it quite that way. That the Buddha himself... Um, was a revolutionary around the caste system, which was so, um, so much uh, the, the paradigm where everybody fit in, whether you were a Brahmin or a, a, a priest or a warrior, kshatriya or a merchant or, um, or lower caste. Um, and he said, we don't have caste here. Everybody is equal. Everybody has the capacity to become free and awakened. No caste, which was big, revolutionary. And the Buddha himself actually, um, in one, at one point in his um, dispensation, uh, tried to settle water rights between uh, there were his own uh, clan and uh, another clan um, arguing over water, which they both used to irrigate their fields, but there was uh, a dry spell, and each one was saying, um, oh, let us have the water, and we'll share our crops, crops with you. Uh, Trust level wasn't so high, and it became um, a major dispute and a, a fight. And the first time the Buddha came 
as it said, he used some psychic powers and just ended up right by the river uh, while this dispute was was taking place. And he um, he helped people wake up. He said, "What's more, uh, what's more valuable, the water or your um, warriors and your your soldiers and the people who will will uh, die?" And they said, "Oh, the warriors." And he said, "Well." I've come here to stop a river of blood that might be flowing. You're concerned about the river of, of water. There's a river of blood that uh, can happen very soon if you don't wake up. And that um, was effective and did the trick. But there was a second um, further uprising of the dispute, and this time he couldn't prevent it. He tried, but he couldn't. Even the Buddha couldn't, and there was some war. Um, the Buddha, by the way, one of the names of the Buddha, I was just saying this to, uh, uh, to my friend Sonia, uh, one name is, uh, of, him, of his was the, the, the teacher of those who could be taught. I love that. The teacher of those who could be taught. So it's kind of like being realistic and realizing that no matter what great argument you have or just how clear or how loving you are, um, there are some people who won't be able to hear. Mm. So anyway, the Buddha was, was quite a, um, in himself, a courageous, uh, engaged practitioner. And a few other examples. Ajahn Buddhadasa, I've mentioned here before, a great uh, Thai master from the 20th century, um, ordained trees in Thailand because they were starting to cut down all the trees in uh, teak and and it was vanishing. Uh, And so he would... um, he would do ordination ceremonies for, t- for trees and put robes around them, so to speak, uh, so that they couldn't be cut down. And it was very effective, and monks would stand by the trees, and it was a very effective action. He also, at, at another time, I've mentioned this here, um, intervened when the Thai um, government and culture, those in power, were uh, asked to um, eliminate contentment from the teachings, from Dharma teachings, so that the Thai culture, like us, could benefit from the, uh, the gifts of consumption, consumerism. And the, the, the uh, sangha there of monastics were actually going to go along with this until Ajahn Buddhadasa, almost single-handedly, was one of the most respected of all masters. He says, this is not Buddhism. Contentment is a basis for a free heart and mind. And um, by dint of his own personal power, stopped this from taking effect. And of course, the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh 
um, just inspiring, brave uh, voices of wisdom that um, have helped people wake up and be inspired to make a difference in their life. I love the, um, there's a, an anecdote, maybe I've mentioned it here recently, where the, uh, a, Zen, uh, a Zen practitioner is on his way to, uh, to the Zendo and he sees this destitute family on the side of the road and he goes to, um, to the Zendo and speaks to the master and he tells him about this poor family in dire straits and saying, you know, it's so, it's so sad. it was so sad to see their karma uh, had brought them to this. And the Zen master said, well, how do you know it wasn't your, dar- your karma to help them? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that. There is a case to be made that this is, this is a, a part of intrinsic to Buddha Dharma, But it's also true that many people um, are inspired by those who go off and sit for a month or sit in a cave or just want to go into the deepest place inside and purify the heart and the mind. And that can be their offering to the world, bringing a little bit more peace into the world. But I wanted to read... um, from one more piece that's come out in the last last few days. Uh, I got this in the mail today, in the, an email from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who I've mentioned here before. He's written a beautiful essay, A Challenge to Buddhists, and he's, as I've mentioned before, the, the, the main translator of the Pali Canon, who is also very, very um, active, founded Buddhist Global Relief that addresses world hunger, and this is this was his response to the current events. He says, um, and he does mention the president by name here. So I'll just, but I'll read it. I recently came across a news report stating that 2,500 religious leaders had signed a petition urging Congress to reject Donald Trump's cabinet nominees as a cabinet of bigotry. I looked over the list of signatories signatories designated by religion and saw only one who identified as Buddhist. This observation reinforced my puzzlement as to why Buddhist teachers and leaders in the U.S. are not more outspoken in addressing issues of public concern, considering that Buddhism is widely hailed as the preeminent religion of peace and compassion Why, I ask myself, aren't we more visible as advocates of peace, basic sanity, and social justice? I'm going to read a bit, um, because he says it better than I can. Granted, our numbers are small, but I don't think that that is the only reason for our reticence to speak up. Several other factors may also be involved. One is the adoption of the Dharma as a path to personal happiness to be pursued mainly in the silence of the meditation hall. A second is the fear that political activism will fire up our passions and shatter our fragile calm. A third is the belief that active engagement with worldly events is an entanglement in illusion. 
And still a fourth is the view widespread among Dharma teachers that we must welcome everyone and not risk alienating potential students by expressing our political convictions. Now, I believe that teachers whose primary job is to teach the techniques of meditation practice should not expound their personal political views from the cushion. It's also unfitting for heads of Dharma centers to use their authority to endorse candidates for office or throw their community behind a political party. Nevertheless, I would draw a sharp line between political endorsement and advocating on public issues. And I would hold that to address such issues is well within a Dharma teacher's domain. Politics today is not merely a battleground over party, over power and position. It is also an arena where great ethical contests are being fought, contests that have a crucial impact on everyone in this country and on this planet. If from fear of upsetting others, Dharma teachers shy away from addressing these critical matters, their silence could even be considered an abdication of their responsibility as spiritual leaders. There are certain convictions that we as Buddhists hold and consider inviolable. We believe, for instance, that every human being possesses intrinsic dignity, that everyone should be treated fairly, that those fallen into hardship should be protected and given the chance to flourish, and that the resources of the earth should be used judiciously out of respect for the delicate web of nature. The inauguration of this new president as leader is likely to strain each of these beliefs to new limits. We're entering a turbulent time when it won't be enough for us merely to adopt the Dharma as a regimen of resilience, a means of maintaining inner balance against the shock waves rippling across the social landscape. We'll need a bolder agenda a program of collective resistance inspired by a radically different vision of human interconnection, one that affirms our duty to respect and care for one another and to maintain a habitable planet for generations yet unborn. Just a little more. If, as upholders of Buddhist faith, where to make our distinctive mark on public policy, we may have to establish a Buddhist advocacy group, a pan-Buddhist alliance grounded in the recognition that hot political disputes are also burning ethical issues on which we should take a stand. Through such an alliance, we can bring the power of Buddhist conscience out into the public arena. Since our numbers are relatively small, we won't be able to make much of an impact on our own, but we can join with progressive leaders of other faiths who share our convictions, advocating together on behalf of human decency and in defense of our embattled democracy. We can call in unison 
for a policy of global generosity in place of rash militarism, for programs that protect the poor and vulnerable, for the advancement of social and racial justice, and for the rapid transition to a clean energy economy, to stand up and speak out in support of such ends is not necessarily to meddle in party politics. It is rather to bring the moral weight of the Dharma to bear on matters that affect the lives of people everywhere, now and long into the future. So, um, what is the place or the responsibility as Dharma practitioners uh, in this reality? And uh, again, I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong, but I think it's important for each of us, um, hopefully, to use our Dharma practice in whatever we do. So it's not like fitting our practice into our life, but holding our life in the context of our practice. And whatever we're moved to do, if it can come from, as I said in a recent talk, come from caring and courage and sometimes fierce compassion and understanding and love and uh, an understanding of the interconnectedness of of all life, um, then our dar- I, th- I do believe that our Dharma practice can make a real difference in the world. I've mentioned it here before, the great historian Arnold Toynbee saying he was one of the most respected historians in the 20th century, saying that he thought that looking back on the 20th century, uh, perhaps the most significant development will have been Buddhism coming to the West. Because the perspective of interconnectedness, of cause and effect, of integrity and acting with compassion and understanding others' realities, and stewardship for the earth. These are principles that are, from the greatest perspective, inclusive, because there's no separation. And, and so although Dharma practitioners make up a, a small um, portion of, of our culture, Consciousness and mindfulness and um, a global perspective of caring and interconnectedness is more and more um, influencing the consciousness of, of our society. So I think what we do can have a tremendously important effect Uh, and input into the conversation. And at the same time, it's not the only way 
to respond. And as I've mentioned here before, sometimes we need some space. We can get overwhelmed by all of the messages and news items and it might just be too much at times and we need to just take a break, even if we care. Or we need to find peace within ourselves in order to uh, be an instrument of peace in, um, in the world. So I want to just uh, invite us all to reflect for a few moments and then uh, perhaps talk with each other and then come back as a, as a group. But um, I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Again, no right or wrong, but in this question, what are you going to do now? How do you see the role of the Dharma in these days? Both, how does it inform your own practice, how do the current events inform your own practice? How are they deepening your commitment to waking up? And how does your practice inform whatever response of engagement or non-engagement or how might it no right no wrong just an honest inquiry how do these events inform your practice And how does your practice inform your participation in the world? To what extent does it inform engagement? rather than just getting into an argument or um, a put-down conversation, uh, how can the Dharma hold everything that goes on inside for you? Okay, so now, just like we did at Spirit Rock or the teachers did, um, just a few moments of connection, no right or wrong. And if you would, if you, if you don't feel like talking, you don't have to, I would encourage you to stay, at least for the conversation, 
afterwards and reflect internally. But if you're open to it, then turn to um, one or two people near you and just listen to each other and share from um, from most authentic place uh, as you reflect on these questions. And we'll come back in a few minutes. So please, you can just turn to a few people near you and and talk and see what it brings up. Okay. Okay, so if you start finishing up and then come on back, be with us. Just notice um, before we open up the conversation um, just how it feels to connect with others, to witness them, to be seen. I know it's a big leap for many people, especially who come here and just want to enjoy the quiet. Um, but um, I hope we're still friends. <laughs> um, as much as anything, I I just really see this as a time to hear each other, uh, whether or not it's somebody that you agree with, or but to hear hear each other in a. A field of goodwill seems like uh, as important as anything else that uh, we could do these days. So, any reflections? We have a few minutes. Uh, maybe Andrew, thanks. Um, what might have come up from that? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm really glad that you brought this topic up because I've had this conversation with um, different different of my uh, Buddhist friends. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel strongly about a couple of things. And I, I know some people feel, you know, the most important thing is to spend your whole day meditating. And that's a really good thing. Um, I look at it like there's the baby, right? You have your baby and the baby's there crying. And you can meditate from now to next week. But if you don't pick up and feed mm-hmm. the baby, the baby's going to die. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's one way that I look at it. I look at it also that, yeah, right? <laughs> that sometimes you sit your practice, and then sometimes you have to walk your practice. And that walking your practice is taking all of that um, equanimity and discernment and moving out into the world. So for me personally, I feel a very strong sense of, of service. And I also feel that. Buddhism is about relieving suffering. And so, um, so for me, without, if there is no engaged Buddhism, you know, uh, there's always Unitarians, right? But <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe just uh, fairly succinctly, we have a few comments. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, 
So for me, this is not about politics. It's about human decency. It's about human kindness decency. and compassion. And I think we need to reframe that some because mm-hmm. then we might bring some more people along. Um, it's just kindness. It's decency. And, and I'm outraged. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm agitated and I'm reactive and I need to sit. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I feel better, I'll come back to it. But yeah, I'm you know, doing all the things. Thank you. It's like uh, the Dalai Lama saying, my religion is kindness. Yeah. Anyone else? Hi. Um, I uh, have several things to say, so I'll try to keep it short. But mm-hmm. uh, one, one is that uh, to flip a phrase, you know, there's... Yeah, put it close there, to your mouth. There's... Uh, uh, wisdom derived from insecurity, and um, I think that's what's kind of gotten me fired up in in a lot of ways. And There's wisdom and what derived from insecurity. Wisdom derived from insecurity. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was Alan Watts says that mm-hmm. that phrase. The, the wisdom of insecurity. Wisdom of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, I think it's a it's a great all of this is a great avenue for deepening my practice mm-hmm. uh, to really be reaching out in ways that I have denied myself doing out of fear or whatever uh, to really start doing something different and um, and mm-hmm. to try to keep that that uh, sense of equanimity while doing it. Mm-hmm. Thank uh, you. Thank so. you. Mm-hmm. Any other last comment that might have come up? Okay, so it's uh, this is an ongoing. Hopefully, this is an ongoing inquiry. Just how how is my dharma practice informing my um, being in the world, and how is my being in the world informing my uh, practice of of waking up? Um, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of opportunity and the weeks and months and maybe years uh, ahead. Um, and the way, one way I see it is that we need as much consciousness as we can in this world. So whether it's joining something that's already happening or being in, uh, involved in some activity or just bringing more consciousness within yourself that um, ripples out to touch others. Um, thank you for your practice. <clears throat> okay, so we'll just close with a brief loving kindness. So just connecting inside that place that cares and wants to grow just appreciating yourself. May I see things clearly and share my love well. May I express my caring for this planet and all living beings in a meaningful way. May I wake up to my true nature. And may all beings find 
happiness and peace. And may our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. Have a good week. Have a good month. I'll see you uh, in a month. (laughs) But you come here. (laughs) See ya. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.